0: Why are you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. So Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 to 52. Okay, let's read. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So we're thinking about Jesus at home in the temple, or days when Jesus went AWOL, absent without leave. Children are amazing in terms of the way they colour and provide texture for our lives. They can stretch us. They can make demands of us. And uh, they can bring humour and love and amazement and an astonishment to us. And I came across this story after the dedication by an older brother in church. A little boy sobbed all the way back home after the Christian dedication in the back seat of the car, his father said, "Well, what is wrong?" Three times, "What is wrong?" Finally, the little boy replied, "That preacher said he wanted to be, uh, be make us brought up in a Christian home, and I want to stay with you guys." <laughs> or um, I've seen this with my son. A boy was watching his father, who was a minister, write a sermon. How do you know what to say, Daddy? He asks. Why, God tells me. Then why do you keep crossing things out as you write the sermon, Daddy? Children are just amazing. Just think about Mary and Joseph and what it was like to bring up the Messiah, the Son of God. Was he a perfect child? Did he ever answer his parents back? Did he ever make mistakes? Did he ever had to learn anything? Well, of course he did have to learn. And I just want us to reflect in this morning's message that let us remember this is the only inspired biblically recorded incident of the youthful years of Jesus. We have no other recorded account of Jesus under 18 years of age. And Matthew records the incident of the Magi and the attempt of Herod to kill the baby Jesus. Then there's the flight to Egypt. But other than this incident, the very young years of our Lord are quite hidden from us until chapter 2 of Luke, where we have this incident in the temple. And it's quite remarkable that there is no other record for us. It might be that Luke wants us to hear this story because it's a milestone as we begin to see the emergence of Jesus as a mature person. Also, in this account, these are the very first words of Jesus that are recorded I remember when my children were young and what first words would they say. i never forget my younger son, when he was a toddler, actually said not a word, he said a whole sentence, which probably astonished me more than anything. And parents get excited about that, but the first words of Jesus, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? How would you feel if you were Mary or Joseph, if that was said to you? This is the last time Joseph is ever mentioned in the Bible. It is commonly felt that Joseph must have died sometime after this incident, And let's not forget what an amazing man Joseph was. Marrying the woman who was to bear the Son of God is not some small task. I wonder how many of us would probably run away from this responsibility. This is a big responsibility, and Joseph was faithful right to the end. And the actions of our Lord Jesus... In the minds of his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph appeared to be wrong. He went missing. And the words of Mary to Jesus clearly imply an assumption of wrongdoing. We've been looking for you. It conveys a gentle but a firm rebuke. If this child were any other person than Jesus, would we not all agree that Mary has a right to rebuke? the child? He was wrong. What is it then that makes Jesus' actions proper when they would have not been for any other 12-year-old? And it's all about purpose, the purpose of the life of Jesus, and it's all about purpose today in your lives and mine. We need to discover our purpose so there's an annual trip to Jerusalem, the spring harvest to Jerusalem, to the Passover. Every year, in verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. The story is really simple. The parents of our Lord have gone up to Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Passover, just as they'd done every year previously. And the feast was concluded and the great caravan of people would shift back home, and among them were Mary, perhaps with lots of other children, but Jesus was missing. Jesus was twelve years of old age at this Passover, so he was just on the brink of manhood, according to Jewish custom. In the boy's 12th year, he was prepared for his induction as a full member of the religious community, which took place at 13 years of age. So the feast was over, his parents were returning home. You might be thinking, weren't they careless? Wouldn't they have checked up to see that he was there? Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. And then they looked for another day and returned to Jerusalem. And it's ironic that Luke uses three days, perhaps something alluding to the future between the death and resurrection of our Lord. That's special number three. Now, these pilgrims, uh, when they went to feast in Jerusalem, they didn't just go as a nuclear family of You know, mum and dad and 2.2 children. They traveled in a large party. These caravans were huge. In fact, it could take you a day to walk from the front to the rear of the caravan. So that's the context of what. And the children would be playing with relatives, with uncles and aunts and cousins, friends and neighbors from the whole village. And they traveled together. And so they return to Jerusalem, and there they find Jesus finally sitting among the teachers in the temple, verses 46 to 47. After three days, they find him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was deeply engrossed in the discussion that he didn't spot Mary and Joseph. And in the course of the discussion, this boy of 12 was listening and probing and answering questions and asking questions. And everyone who heard Jesus on this occasion was struck with astonishment about him. The Greek noun is existeme be amazed, be astonished of the feeling mingled with fear caused by the events of the miraculous. They realized here was someone who clearly stood out, someone special, someone called, anointed. And then in verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Luke describes Mary's and Joseph's reaction to finding him. Similarly, as the teachers found him, they were astonished. They were amazed. But once Mary sees that Jesus is safe, why did you do this to us? Her relief leads to rebuke. She interprets the events of how it had worried and inconvenienced her. She talks about her sorrow, but she's missed the point. Both of them have missed the point. But we get it, don't we? They're emotional because their son has been missing. But was Jesus thoughtless? He wasn't being thoughtless. He was actually making a marker. Actually, for all parents, children have to become their own. They have to discover themselves for themselves. And Jesus discovered who he was, that he was the Son of God. And that was coming into focus in his self-awareness. Jesus was the God-man. And the church historians in the early church battled on this, uh, about the deity, the God-likeness, and the humanity And there was a battle of ideas. You had Docetism, which had Jesus as this deity and that he was all God. But you couldn't have him as all God. You had to have him as a man as well. And so you had the Adoptionists, as they were known, where Jesus was all human, but they forgot his deity. And we are those who need to hold the tension that he was the God-man that God had sent So, Jesus replies to them, Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And at first, they didn't understand what Jesus said to them. And when you first read Jesus' reply to his mother, you almost want to speak, tell him to stop speaking to his mother like that. But we need to actually look further. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Is more than a boy's naive question. This is a turning point in his life. But in verse 49, Jesus takes the word father, my father, as God the Father, God of the temple. And this personal intimacy of the phrase, my father, is unprecedented in Jewish literature, where it might be expressed as in heaven or our Father. But Jesus is claiming God as his Father in heaven. We need to learn to allow our children to spread wings. When I worked with International Justice Mission, we used to say, particularly to young people no, it wasn't really to young people. It was to their parents uh, in the Western world. You need to let your children go. You need, particularly if they're Christian children, to take the adventure of following God's calling, of spreading their wings, of taking risks. And we're very risk-averse as a society. And we, I understand, we get it. We don't want our children harmed. But God is calling our children to be those pioneers for Christ, to step out and to win new territory for Jesus. I can share my own experience of parenting, that uh, I describe the primary years of parenting as dictatorship. I rule the roost as father. Then I suddenly realized when I got to the sort of 11, 12 years of age, we then moved into what I describe as the collaborative model of parenting. Um, I realized that this was not going to work much longer, being a dictator. Um, And then suddenly when I got to the mid-teens, I moved into what I call the submissive stage in parenting, where I get walked over and battered and bruised, and I'm kind of like the... Negotiator who's on the back foot. And of course, we then want to move into what we call the equitable parenting, where our children actually become our friends. The boy Jesus seemed a bit surprised that his parents had to search for him at all. Shouldn't they understand who he was and where he would be? Remember his beginning and the the incredible calling that Mary had. May it be as the Lord has said, she remarked. The tension here is Jesus, whether he should obey his earthly father or his heavenly father. This passage gives us a glimpse that at the age of 12, Jesus is feeling a necessity, a compulsion, to do the Father's will. In verse 51, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary has been trying desperately to understand, to make sense of seeing her son. Gabriel's announcement, Elizabeth and Zechariah's prophecies, the shepherd's story of the angelic declaration of his birth, Simeon and Anna's words and blessing in the temple, and now this incident in the temple when Jesus is 12. And poor Mary and Joseph, how do you raise a son whom you believe to be the Messiah? And as Ian said earlier, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. And this passage covers the next two decades, from age 12 until he's about 30 years of age. And I just want to summarise a few points. What are the lessons for us as modern disciples of Jesus? The first is, growth takes time. Jesus went through the same period of childhood and adolescence that we must, Sometimes we're in so much of a hurry to get on with life that we're tempted to skip through the growing up part. We're 12 going on 20. We need to protect our children, as Ian said, to be children. God is not in such a hurry. He is more interested in the process of spiritual growth than just its eventual achievement. He's with us, He's training us, He's parenting us, He's helping us to grow in Him. And I refer as spiritual babies. As we come to faith, we need to mature and we need to keep growing. We mustn't become stuck. And I talked about purpose. What is God's purpose for our lives? And Cole has brought to us, through the deacons, a vision. This is all about our purpose for this era, for this generation and the next. We need to know our purpose. But before that, who do we belong to? We need to know why we are here. And lots of our children and young people and young adults need to know that as well we exist for the glory of Jesus Christ and we want to spread his fame throughout the world so growth takes time and we need purpose secondly we experience a tension between our responsibilities to God and our fellow men Sometimes there's conflict of responsibilities, and we must choose one over the other. And Jesus experienced the same tension. There are times that he had to choose to serve God in this incident than his parents. And Jesus makes very clear that our ultimate allegiance must be to him. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, God is not telling us to hate our parents, our spouses, our children, our wider family. It's a contrast. We must love him even more. He must be our number one at the center. Thirdly, We must often submit to those who are inferiors to us. What do I mean? Jesus had to submit. He was the Son of God and had to submit to Mary and Joseph. It is rather amazing that Jesus would return home to Nazareth and submit to his parents. Though they loved him, had little grasp of who he was meant to be in the grander picture, who he was called to be but he submitted, he obeyed them for God's plan for the present. Don't be surprised if you're called to submit to an employer, a patriarch, a spouse, a military commander who is your spiritual or mental or moral inferior. That too is part of Christian discipleship. It's part of being Humble. Fourthly and finally, we need God's grace upon us. We're not dependent on our skills, our university degree, but God's grace. To succeed in the kingdom we need, we must have God's favour upon us. Caris, we need his unmerited favour, his grace, his anointing, his gifting. That's what really matters, that's what sets us apart, that's to whom we belong. We are a child of the living God. I am not just the son of my mother and father, I am a child of God. That comes first and we need God's grace upon us. We need his anointing, we need the belief that we are his and he is ours. The Greek philosopher Seneca said this, Without a ruler to do it against, you can't make crooked straight. Without a ruler to do it against, you can't make crooked straight. And so we need to take a good look at Jesus, in other words. His life, his guiding light, to be with the Father, pursuing his will. I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis. This man who reluctantly, argumentatively entered the kingdom of God in his early thirties. He says this, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money and so much of your work. I want you, says God, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me. And I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself. In exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we can see in Jesus the same tension that we sometimes feel to follow your call as well as to please the important people in our lives. Sometimes we can't do both. And as we've just thought about Lewis's quote, we pray that you take us, lock, stock, and barrel, every bit of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Take us, remake us, remould us, fill us with your love divine, make your will our will. Thank you for your love, thank you for your grace and anointing. Thank you that we are royal family, we belong to you, our King. And, Lord, this week, as we live our lives, as we live in the conflict and tension of responsibility and decision-making, Lord, give us grace and wisdom. Continue to show us the path you're calling us as individuals, as families, but also as a church family. Help us to look above the sun. Help us to cast our eyes to the bigger picture and the greater future. Of souls lost in this town. Of lives devastated by anger and greed and selfishness. Lord, fill us with your love to love those you're calling us to love in this town. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We stand to sing our final hymn. It's